Made in the Trade, Spider-Man, Craven's Last Hunt. I am here once again with Mr. Jeremy Gates. Hello, Alan. Thanks for having me. You're welcome back, Jeremy. We are reviewing one of my all-time favorite storylines. This is from my early days of reading comic books. And uh, suffice it to say, it's a story that holds up a full 30 years later. This is the 80s. That's right. 30 years ago is when I first read this and it was first published. And I first read this... Last week. So <laughs> I, I have someone who can attest that it holds up because you have no prior knowledge to it. I know nothing about this. In fact, full disclosure, I know everything about Spider-Man except Spider-Man stories. So you I didn't read any arcs. Spider-Man comic books? Nope, but somehow collaterally I've learned everything about him. So I know his kind of conflicts and his girlfriends and his family and whatever, but I don't think I've ever read a strictly Spider-Man story. You've read... Uh, Punisher stories that have had Spider-Man co-star in them. Yep. You've seen Spider-Man movies. Oh, uh, so you've got the gist of the origin story, but you have never read a Spider-Man comic book. This is your first exposure to Spider-Man. Yes. Yes. At 30-something years old, that's the first time I've read cover to cover a Spider-Man book. <laughs> so um, let's, let's, give, let's get a... Before we go into the review, what'd you think? I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I was really stunned that I was getting this out of a Spider-Man book because I'd always had some preconceived notions about Spider-Man that it was a little sillier. He's always got the quips mm -hmm. and, you know, and he's got some villains that I didn't take as seriously. Like there's a guy that dresses like a rhino. And right. Punches stuff with his face and stuff. And I'm like, all right, like the movies are fun, but it wasn't really my speed. Not to mention when I read about him in Punisher books, he's always kind of the comic foil to the Punisher. I have a feeling that when those writers who are writing the comic book aren't a big fan of Spider-Man, they just write him so opposite to what the Punisher is in those stories that that's, I don't think it does it too much justice. That's very accurate. At least that was my exposure to him, you know, is that, oh, he's this joking kind of useless guy that can throw a truck or whatever. But he, he was always the, they were always making fun of him. Punisher was always the cool guy. Right. So yeah, for people like yourself, um, I wanted you to read this. Uh, I know you like Punisher, you like Batman, um, darker type characters who deal with very seedy underworld type stuff. This is a storyline that I would recommend to a Batman lover or someone who likes darker comic books and someone who, like yourself, wouldn't necessarily consider themselves a Spider-Man fan. But I think this is the type of story that could win you over. I would say that you're that by recommending this to a Batman fan, you're really opening the door to him because this the level of what was going on in this book was far, far surpassed most of what I read in the Batman stuff that I read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more going on here. All right, we're going to go into issue one of, the, of Craven's Last Hunt. So this is actually titled The Coffin, part one. Oh, by the way, the title Craven's Last Hunt was just created for the sake of the trade. But when these issues first came out, there was no title. We just knew this was a multi-part story as they were coming out. And it spanned over the course of the existing Spider-Man comic books that were being published at the time, which were the original title, which was Amazing Spider-Man. There was Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and then there was the Web of Spider-Man, the newest title. And it spanned over that course of maybe two to three months to get these all out there. Which I think, after reading it, had, was a very good decision to give it to you all very quickly, rather than having me wait eight months to read the entire thing. Yeah, you only had to wait about a week or so just to get the next volume of the of the storyline, which I, it, you're right, it worked really well. And it was my first example of really cherishing a storyline. I actually wound up collecting these uh, issues together in their own uh, oversized Mylar bag. So I had all mm -hmm. the parts in one bag so I could reread them years before they ever collected them in a trade. And gave it a new name. Right. Which was very confusing to me as I was searching for it. I find it on, you know, I get them on... Um the Marvel app or whatever on my iPad. Yeah, it said Craven's Last Hunt, and then it never mentioned that through all the issues. It and the unfortunate is thing is 
calling it The Last Hunt, I knew exactly what story was after I had read it in the comic books. You saw that title page, and in some ways it's a bit of a spoiler to the final, one of the final moments of the, of the story, which we'll get into once we get to that point. Issue one begins in the first couple panels with Craven, uh, who at this point I'm not that familiar with as a character. Um, my first exposure to him is that he karate chops a uh, gorilla's head off. So I'm immediately interested in this character. <laughs> I, <laughs> that won you I'm, over. Yep, it immediately wins me over. First couple panels, he's buck naked, he's jumping through animals, and he karate chops a gorilla's head off while he's his inner monologue is talking about rage and glory, and I'm already into this guy. I'm like, I don't know what his deal is, but I, I dig him, and I'm already kind of scared of him. My first exposure to him was uh, in the cartoons. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, he was a character that was always trying to catch Spider-Man, and uh, because he thought he was the ultimate trophy, and so then he wanted to catch the Spider-Friends, Iceman, Firestar, and Spider-Man, and that's all I really knew about Craven the Hunter, really. And then reading this... quite different. Um, yeah, I mean, like, he's he's much more two-dimensional in the cartoon, and it it wasn't an unfair portrayal of what he had been in the comic books up to that point either. He was a bit of a joke. I mean, he was a, he was a carryover of someone who was obsessed with uh, being on safari, and he had taken some potions and whatever to augment his strength so that he could take on Spider-Man. And his original appearance was back in the early 1960s. So you can imagine he wasn't quite as fleshed out and three-dimensional as you read him in this story. See, that that makes a lot of sense because in this story, I'm immediately kind of captivated by the guy. Like, he doesn't seem like a joke. You see him getting ready and you're like, oh, no, this is the real deal. Yeah. Like, this guy has his weird Lara Croft mansion where he fights animals buck naked to practice by the way like these are all taxidermied <laughs> dead animals well don't that that takes something away from it I, i'd like to choose that he had a live gorilla that he cried <laughs> out the head off of but that's fair it may have been okay. taxidermied <laughs> okay um w- the first thing that struck me right after that scene is he's talking about himself he's kravinsky or something like that his russian name and he's sergey kravinov yeah Sergey kravinov and he's talking about how his father came over to america and the russian dream died mm-hmm. and his mother, they say his mother was crazy and all this stuff. He's talking about his background. And then he right. says, I'm the hunter. He finally gets to his like title. I'm Craven the Hunter. And when he says it, the panel, he looks pretty depressed. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he's he's not Dr. Octopus screaming it from the top of a building. You know, he's he's depressed about it. He says, I'm Craven the Hunter. And he looks very somber. And he goes into thinking, he, he goes into Spider-Man at that point, and he's never been able to catch him. And like you said, it's his like greatest hunt, his greatest prize. Mm-hmm. And the guy starts crying. Like he breaks down thinking of how he hasn't caught or killed Spider-Man. That's not the character I was expecting. Yeah. And, and by the way, not to take away from your original interpretation of the scene where he's fighting wild animals, those wild animals, he did take down initially barehanded. I mean, he doesn't, he's not a typical hunter where he's just going to hide behind something and shoot it. Like he took these potions so he could be the physical equal of a gorilla in the wild, or he could outrun a lion in the wild. So yeah, he definitely prided himself on doing what was impossible to normal men. And then he became obsessed with Spider-Man and he was going to be his next trophy, which he had consistently failed on bringing in. That makes me feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, th- then we come to the the Black Spider-Man, and I needed to ask you this because yes. I know that there was a lot of weirdness with the symbiote in the 80s and like Secret Wars and stuff. Right. So when I saw Black Spider-Man, th- let me rephrase that. When I saw Peter Parker in the Black Spider-Man outfit, I didn't know if there was like a weird alien intelligence helping him or something because there's there are two inner monologue bubbles. There's a regular colored one and then there's a darker colored one that Peter Parker is hearing. And I didn't know if one of them was the weirdo alien speaking to him. It, that is all Peter Parker. That is um, because this is the cloth repl- uh, replacement of the symbiote. He had already gotten rid of his symbiote before the storyline begins. For all that's important to the story, he's just wearing a regular outfit that looks black and white like the symbiote costume. Okay, that's very important to know based yeah. on kind of where I went with the story. I was I was hoping that was the case, but I wanted to make make clear. Right. And you do see scenes in the book where he is 
taking off his outfit like clothes. When he was wearing the symbiote, it just kind of dissolved or like retreated to different parts of his body. Okay, but the first thing you get when you meet when you see Spider Man in this story is he seems to be having an existential crisis. That's right. He's thinking about some street level like informant or some street level criminal who just passed away. And it's really affecting him that so many people are starting to die around him. And it seems like in this one, it seems like Spider-Man's a a little older, late 20s. Right. He's a newlywed husband. His uh, one of his closest friends, Ned Leeds, had died. And that's a it's an unrelated storyline. And I don't even think Spider-Man at this point knows what the big revelation to readers was, which is. Again, it's not rela- it's not relevant at all to you or any readers of this story, but Ned Leeds at the time was revealed to be the Hobgoblin. But as far okay. as Peter knew, he was another employee of the Daily Bugle. He was either fiancé or husband to Betty Brant, the secretary of J. Jonah Jameson. And that was okay. it. And then he had recently been killed. Well, he was killed because he got in with the wrong crowd and a uh, criminal element had murdered him. So that's yeah, all Peter see, yeah. knew is that he was he was killed and like he was like devastated with the loss of his friend. I'd only seen yeah, he he mentioned Lee's, he mentions the whatever I think the guy was named Joe Face, the guy who had right. died, the mm-hmm. criminal. Yep. So Peter's going in his head about all these people who have died and it seems like it's affecting him. And those right. two inner monologues, one of them seems like the conscious kind of optimistic Peter. And then mm-hmm. the other one underneath is like the existential dread one. He's thinking, oh, well, you know, I got to do my best and whatever. And the bottom one's like, we're all going to die. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what it's, He's, you know, he's got both sides of his mind working against him. So when mm-hmm. we see him, he's kind of out of sorts. You could interpret it as a, a negative pessimistic side, or you could pr- interpret it as more instinctive side, like health, our, our life is in danger as of right now. And so the red signifying the emergency Whereas the yellow is kind of the normal Peter Parker monologue. Yeah, and that's why I that's why I thought of it as like that kind of instinctive. Pr- yeah, instinctive primal voice going, "No, no, you're in danger." Yeah, your friends died. You can die. Like it was a very, it's almost like a, a maturing thing happened, right? Like his this voice is telling him, "Hey, you got to worry about this other stuff now." Mm-hmm. That's not you know nobody wants to think about it. Yep, but it's bu- it's bubbling up on Peter. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, when he's going through all this, they cut back to Craven, and he's laying in a pile of spiders and eating them. Yes. Because that's how you learn to catch the spider. <laughs> it's symbolic, and it's literal. It, it's both. Meanwhile, he, his inner monologue is saying completely crazy things, like so black, so inhuman, so beautiful, mm-hmm. like thinking about Spider-Man. Right. And what's interesting here is it's the first time you kind of get a a feeling that Spider-Man has no idea that Craven is even on the radar. Mm-hmm. And Craven is thinking the entire time that Spider-Man is taunting him. I follow you. Yeah. It's he's just like a, a C-list villain of his that he doesn't think twice about. Yeah, and I think that's important cuz Spider-Man's got a lot to worry about, right? He's got his wife, he's got his job, I presume, he's got his crime fighting, he's got mm-hmm. his new late 20s, oh my god, I'm really going to die bubbling up in him. Right. And then you've got Craven, who Spider-Man probably hasn't seen in years, who's laying in his mansion covered in spiders, going, Spider-Man taunts me. And I think that's that, that gets more important as the story goes on, that they're completely divorced from their own agendas, or from each other's agendas, I should say. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on briefly is that Craven dresses like a sassy disco maniac. And sometimes that takes me out of stories. You know, I, it's part of the, it's part of, it's part of comics back then. But when I, I read a lot of stories and you get this super intimidating character like Craven who's immediately crazy and I'm immediately scared for Peter Parker and then he puts on his loincloth and his lion vest yes and I'm slightly less scared of him <laughs> because this is your introduction to Craven whereas most people reading this as comic book lovers they know what Craven the Hunter is supposed to look like yeah and I think you know I think if I had grown up reading about Craven the Hunter that would just be like well that's how Craven dresses but when you get into it 30 years later and I go okay here's the villain oh he's putting on his super suit oh my gosh it's a loincloth or a lion vest so that just took me out of it for a second it reminds right. me of you know I'm like oh wow but again that doesn't hurt the story it was just something I thought I would bring up because it it's funny in 2017 you were fine with the the nude man fighting the taxidermied characters but if he's for got some the reason lion that on landed his chest. fine with me. 
yep. the, the lion on his chest. Like, wait a second, something's wrong with this guy. This guy's kind of weird. <laughs> so yeah, they have a conflict, they fight it out, and Craven aims his rifle at Spider-Man's face. And Spider-Man's like, wait, this isn't how it goes. What the... That is maybe the best part overall. I, I shouldn't say that, that's, that's hyperbole. But it's a really important part of the thing is that Craven shows up, shoots Spider-Man with the dart, and then Spider-Man expects things to go down the way they always have. The the villain monologues, Spider-Man gets out of it. And this time, and Spider-Man is the one that ends up monologuing back to him, saying, oh, wait, are we going to fight this out like men? Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it like this. And he does the scariest thing a comic book villain can ever do, which is just walk up to the hero and shoot him in the face with a gun. And that's how it, the, the comic ends, right? They bury Spider-Man in a coffin. And yeah, he's descended down into a grave. Craven covers it with soil and then laughs maniacally into the sky and the end. <laughs> that, that first must have issue. Been amazing to read. Uh, yeah. Well, my friend um, who had read it before me, he's like, dude, they killed off Spider-Man. I'm like, what? <laughs> I got to read the next issue because I actually started with part two. The I think part one had already sold out. So part two is my first exposure to the, the storyline. I was like, oh, wow, I guess <laughs> he killed Spider-Man. Let's see where this goes. All you get to, you pick up the second issue and all you see is, oh, I guess all I need to know is that Spider-Man is now dead. Yeah. And you see him on the cover in his, 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 that, that costume you love so much. And he's got Spider-Man's costume and he's laughing. So now we've got Kraven no longer wearing that costume you hate so much. And he's wearing Spider-Man's costume. Yes. Standing at Spider-Man's grave, takes off his mask, looks a little bit sad and then starts cackling. Yeah. Kraven has that kind of old cliche of you've killed your greatest adversary now what do you do mm-hmm. so he's sad it makes him sad like what's he gonna do now dress up like spider-man apparently and what we had just seen on spider-man's grave was a rat running across it and yes that is in uh, a simile to another rat running across the streets of new york city which winds up tripping an innocent civilian an innocent woman she falls and then the manhole cover gets moved and a grotesque hand comes out grabs her and pulls her under. And then eats her, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, he does. Got a little darker than I was expecting. Pretty darn dark, yeah. Shooting Spider-Man in the face is one thing, but now we've got a maniac that lives in the sewers and eats people. That was, I was not expecting that. No. So this is a character called Vermin, who's basically a a rat human, and uh, he is a cannibal, and he eats people, particularly targeting women. So it is... Is he a recurring character? He had appeared in a previous issue, I think, of Captain America, but uh, I'm not too familiar with him outside of the story. Okay, he was referenced a bunch with Captain America in this story, but I didn't know if he was like a recurring villain or he's a one-shotter or something like that. He's he's very rarely used. We also meet uh, Mary Jane in the second issue. That's right. And she's wondering Um, where her husband is. And interestingly enough, she has the same subconscious, whatever you want to call it, dread inner monologue going on too where she says oh he's probably just out doing whatever and then there's the it's hot pink for mary jane the 80s yes. and yes. it's in the bottom and it says no peter's dead mm. or what if he's dead right so she's got that same thing bubbling up in her which i thought was interesting it's not just oh he's probably okay no he's not he's dead and and people have referenced this with other characters like the the wives loved ones of these superheroes that know their secret identity which is similar to the wife of a police officer or firefighter, they don't always know if their husbands are coming back home. So when they don't hear from them for a while, they fear the worst. And you see that with Mary Jane here. Again, more similes with the uh, the rat in her apartment. Yeah, she, she runs kills off. a rat with a boot. <laughs> kind of hideous. And while this is happening and she's thinking about, you know, is, is Peter okay and all this, it strikes me again that all Craven had to do was dispense with all the super villainy and just kill Spider-Man with no fanfare. And then nobody knows, right? Spider-Man just disappears. It's almost like a serial killer in a way where yeah. if Mary Jane had seen on the six o'clock news, Spider-Man gets sucked into another dimension. She'd be like, oh man, I guess Peter's gone. She just doesn't know because Craven just decided to take him in the middle of his patrol one night. Right. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Peace out. Spider-Man's gone. Mary Jane has no idea. And right. it's over. And that was kind of, 
it stuck with me a little bit. That was kind of scarier because you've got your super superhero boyfriend that or husband at this point who just vanishes and there's right. no answers. It's like a, a missing a missing person or a serial killer. It's it's kind of scary. And this is an era that predates cell phones. You kind of have to have faith that your loved one's going to show up later if if they've been away from a phone, a nearby phone. She's she's trying to have faith, but she's still fearing the worst. Yeah, there's no GPS. There's no way to no. track him. He's just gone. Um, and like you said, Craven is now dressing up like Spider-Man, and his inner monologue is getting more and more insane. It's not just enough about- that he kills Spider-Man. He has to best Spider-Man at being Spider-Man. It doesn't seem like he knows why he's doing it. He's he's talking about crawling and being the spider, and it doesn't seem... It, it, he doesn't know why. He's just... he He's kind of like fighting himself. Yeah, he's in conflict, because yeah. you see that red and the orange um, dialogue balloons, the dialogue boxes. They're opposed to each other. But you also see that he's taking drugs. What he's uh, licking out of this bowl is like some sort of a potion from a jungle or something. That's affecting his psyche. It not only yes. augments his abilities, like strength and agility, but it also messes with his head. Yeah, Craven's on some weird stuff. This is when I started to kind of catch some things about it. Like, it seems like Craven can't accept that Spider-Man's just a guy. Yeah. So, so it, not just a guy. Obviously, he has his radioactive spider powers, but right. It, it's like more than that. Craven has to elevate him into some kind of like supernatural force. Yes, he makes him into a mythical being. Like, he has respect for all living creatures in the wild, and he's bested just about all of them. But he's like, but this spider man is always defeating me. It must be because it's the greatest animal in creation. Yeah, it it gets to some, like, supernatural spiritual level where the spider is this great destroyer or that the spider had something to do with his parents in Russia. The spider has been taunting him his whole life. Mm -hmm. And we get to see the other side, which is just Peter Parker got bit by a radioactive spider one day. Right. And we know that he was a a typical person before that. Yeah. He's just some guy that happens to be really good at making spider webs and Mm -hmm. luckily got bit by a spider. Um, But Craven has elevated him into this, this great thing while he's thinking about this, he's fighting a giant host of spiders in, you know, this a bunch of spiders come together to become like a spider monster that Craven's fighting while he's having these revelations. He would have lost his mind if he knew Peter Parker was this frail high schooler that was picked on by his classmates. Uh, he would yeah, I think he would have just, yeah, like, that would have been it. It, it. He probably would have gone into a catatonic state and be like, there's no way this weakling could have defeated me so many times. That would have been a really interesting storyline. Yeah. <laughs> to catch him out of the mask and be like, oh my God, he's 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like he he's having these like delusions. He can't decide if he's now the spider, the great destroyer spider, or if he's still Craven the Hunter. Like he's really going nuts, they yeah. show. Yeah. After he he's, you know, shot Spider-Man in the face. Mm-hmm. But like you said, he'd also just lick drugs out of a cat's milk bowl. <laughs> yes. Literally. Mm-hmm. So Vermin oh, is still preying on his prey. Which and is the sense of danger because Mary Jane is now going to go looking for Spider-Man. That's right. And some uh, potential rapists start taunting her in the streets. So now we have some real world danger. Yeah, yeah. She's cornered by like some 1980s street toughs. Um, and because Mary Jane is, you know, she's kind of sassy. She's not just going to run. Right. She, she shoots off her mouth at him mm-hmm. and then immediately realizes that was a bad idea. Yep. She's alone, and, and those get, are two men. Oh, and then, and isn't that when Craven shows up? Yeah, these two guys are going to mess up Mary Jane, but then a rather hefty Spider-Man shows up in the alley, and he kicks their shit. Yes, he does. He plants one's <laughs> head into a brick wall. He's fighting in a, in a very non-Spider-Man way. Right. Which is brutally efficient, as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to tie them up with spider webs. Like, he takes them down in, like, two or three moves apiece just by punching them or slamming their head into bricks. Mm-hmm. And Mary Jane, obviously, immediately realizes that's not her man because her man is not that jacked. See, um... That or the fact that he's a psychopath. That, that could have something to do with it, too. Um, it's funny that you say that because there's actually a Peter Porker the Spectacular Spider-Ham story that doubles this Craven the Hunter uh, storyline. And ma- when Mary Jane sees... Spider Ham go off on these on these tufts. She goes, "That's not Peter. He's 
bigger. And then she eventually falls in love with Craven <laughs> in the costume. <laughs> Listen, he filled it out better than Spider-Man. <laughs> this is actually the first um, uh, idea of someone being more muscular than Spider-Man wearing the black costume. This predates Venom by about a year or so. And so anytime I'd seen Venom ever since, I was like, this has been done. Yeah. A wacko wearing the black and white costume with bigger muscles. I've seen this. Craven did it first. That's right. So that's basically it. Yeah. They keep cutting back to uh, Vermin in the sewers, kind of foreshadowing something. Right. And clearly Vermin is a disgusting villain as well. But we don't know much about him. At this point, as a reader, as a new reader, I'm I'm wondering why I'm reading this. About ve- you know, about Vermin? Vermin. They keep cutting back to Vermin and him with the, you know, grabbing the women and showing him skulking around. And I'm like, okay, this is leading somewhere, but right. they may want to start to get there soon. Cover of issue three has Craven as the spider confronting v- Vermin. Yes. Whoa. The first shot of this, uh, this issue, if I remember, is brilliant. Because mm-hmm. it's Craven hanging upside down like Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Except he's using a rope to do it. That's right. And he's not in the same... He can't get his legs into the the uh, classic Spider-Man upside-down pose. It's a little awkward. It's awkward, yeah. His like one leg is loose because Craven's not an acrobat, you know? <laughs> he's a little it's, more top-heavy than Spidey. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot... You know, he's got that bar body going on. Mm-hmm. His, his legs aren't as, you know, muscular. He's he's having trouble bringing them together. And I just saw that panel and I was giggling. That was really funny. <laughs> he's trying his best. He's He wants to mimic the spider. Mm-hmm. And so they it starts off with him just doing the kind of Spider-Man nightly routine, which is stopping people doing crimes. Right. Except he's doing it with his bare hands and... Ferociously, yeah. Yeah. He at least kills one guy. And the whole time he's doing it, he's still unclear whether or not he's himself or he's become the supernatural spider. Yeah, he's getting worried that he's getting in too deep. Right. Because he's a drug addict and crazy. But yeah, it's, start, it's like coming... It's all kind of getting um, claustrophobic right around mm-hmm, Craven. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, who am I? And when I take the mask off and all so now there's an APB for the police. They're all trying to find this this killer that's in the streets, and uh, a pair of them seem to come across Vermin. He attacks the police officers. Vermin gets a hold of the female police officer, says she looks and smells a bit like his mom, so he lets her live. That happens, but it's way creepier than that. Right. And I was wondering where that was going, because mm-hmm. he licks the side of her face, like, and then says, you remind me of my mom, and he, like, runs off into the night yeah and that's never explained to me (laughs) nor me no okay i didn't know if that happened later i or after these issues but that was a really disturbing scene and it doesn't lead anywhere there's there's one or two plot cul-de-sacs in this in this series out of four issues it's fair to say that or six issues i think this is one of them because you you establish something there that you should tell me about if you're going to make a a creepy cannibal rat person have an Oedipus complex, and then he just leaves. No big deal, but I thought it was worth mentioning. That that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I agree. With regard to this story, there should have been a little bit more as far as his his reasoning or like what else could trigger that happening yet again in the future where he spares someone's life. But I think that's ultimately just a quality of his character if someone reminds him of a loved one he's gonna let them live okay i could i could see it like that and then you know what's funny the next thing that happens is the other plot cul-de-sac in this story which is mary jane goes to somebody who's not j jonah jameson but apparently has his job that's uh, joe robbie robertson and he is that's, a, real, that's really his name yeah well i mean his nickname is robbie because his last name is robertson but his real first name is joe he's the editor at the Daily Bugle that seems to be way more reasonable than J. Jonah Jameson. So Peter's always looked at Robbie as a father figure and okay. someone he can trust, maybe even trust with like inside information, giving Robbie like a tip as to where maybe what Spider-Man's intentions are. Robbie's always kind of like seen Spider-Man as the hero as opposed to J. Jonah Jameson. That gives a little bit more context to it. So maybe it's not the cul-de-sac I thought it was. Because okay. Mary Jane shows up over there, is super scared, says nothing, and then says, sorry to bother you, Robbie, or whatever his name, Robbie, and then leaves. So the issue here is the Bugles publishing these stories about Spider-Man losing his mind and beating up people. And Mary Jane was going to tell him that's clearly not Spider-Man. 
But she doesn't want to reveal that she knows who Spider-Man really is. Okay, there is a moment where she thinks like she's about to tell him, right? Mm -hmm. And then she decides against it and then I think leaves. Right. Without knowing that character, without kind of having that background in him, I didn't know why she went there. And then, because all she really did was wake the guy up, scare the crap out of him and then leave. Yeah. Because she shows up scared and alone and like on the verge of tears and then says, never mind, I'm fine, Rob, and leaves. I was like, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that context actually smooths everything out. It makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, the issue is he's a man that she can trust, that Peter trusted. She probably went to him for maybe some advice on how to find the real Peter because that's not him. And then she realized, okay. how is she going to get this guy's help without tipping her hand as to Peter Parker being Spider-Man? Okay. See, these are the dangers of a someone who hasn't followed the serialized story kind of jumping in. They're bound to be those side characters that I don't know about. Right. Now, he is a character that's appeared in the movies, but he was completely two-dimensional and not fleshed out. Like Billy D. Williams in the first Batman. He is Harvey Dent, but it doesn't really matter. It makes no difference in the story, exactly. Um, and I think after that, oh, we get back to Craven. Craven is huffing more drugs. And, and he's developed a new vermin. obsession, which is vermin. The man rat. Who, who just like Spider-Man... He's elevated to some meeting with destiny. Yeah. Even though Vermin is just some subterranean cannibal monster man. But Craven's suiting up, getting ready for his like meeting with destiny with Vermin, which shows kind of where Craven's head is at. Like Craven lives in his own little world. This will be Craven's first supervillain confrontation as the spider. So now he's uh, once again has to cross that next hurdle to best Spider-Man's reputation. Yeah, he's treating it like it's some um, like it's some test, right? Some threshold he's got to break through. Yep. And he says uh, at one point something like he's beautiful and vile. He's like he's he's elevating Vermin the same way he was elevating Spider-Man. Right. And again, he's an animal man, right? Vermin. Right. So right. he just bested the ultimate nemesis, the spider. Now he's besting the rat. He's he, yes, he's besting the rat. And he's being heroic, too. Like, he's a danger to the city. He's harming innocent people. He's clearly a a horrible villain. So in him doing this, he's doing something heroic. Super heroic. That's interesting. That he's, yeah, he's taking on that aspect of Spider-Man as well. Because Mm -hmm. he has to become him. Right. And he does talk about, I think he talks about, this is when he brings up Captain America. And that to take down Vermin, he needed Spider-Man and Captain America to do it. Right. So if he can do it himself, he's better than both of them because Spider-Man needed help. He doesn't. He said if he can take Vermin down on his own, he can regain his honor. Yes. Because Craven is a man who has lost his honor because Spider-Man had bested him so many times. Mm. You'd think he would reclaim that honor when he walks up to Spider-Man and blows him away with a (laughs) rifle. But that's not enough for Craven because Craven lives in his own reality. This is right. what I'm learning about him by like episode three mm-hmm. is he's created his own reality with his own, his own code of the jungle, so to speak. That's yeah. right. That nobody else gets to know and he doesn't write them down anywhere. He just kind of comes up with them on the fly. And I think it's really fascinating. Like I'm saying it offhanded, like I think it's silly, that, but it's not. It's why Craven, I think, is such an amazing character. Mm-hmm. A lot of superhero villains, a lot of supervillains are crazy or profit-driven or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're crazy, but they're not... I don't think they're realistically crazy. I don't want to I don't want to crap on them, but, like, the Joker is just totally crazy. And certain characters are just wacko, and that's kind of their, oh, he's chaotic, we don't know what to do. Craven is a very specific kind of crazy that seems like a real-life crazy, which is why I think this story resonated with me so well. Because it's not strictly written off as uh, insanity without motive. Like, he has a motive. He's, he's obsessed. He is clearly OCD. And yes. so it's heightened by the, the drugs that he's taking. Yeah, he, he, the, the drugs are just kind of, again, like giving him tunnel vision. And it, but, but it's so fascinating that he's created this whole reality for himself, that everybody else is a supporting character in his story. Yeah, and because we have gone through a couple of Spider-Man-free issues so far. Right. As far as we know, Spider-Man has been shot in the face and is buried in Craven's backyard. Right. He's getting ready to go after Vermin with his meeting with Destiny. And meanwhile, Vermin's reality is, I just snatched this lady off the street and I'm going to eat tonight. And I beat up a cop that kind of looked like my mom. That's where Vermin's head's at. And Craven is 
is standing under the sky screaming about his honor, talking about my meeting with Destiny is tonight. And it's just, it's interesting, the the two different sides and how they're spending their evening. <laughs> Vermin doesn't know this is happening. And then at the end of the issue, Spider-Man pulls a carry and breaks out of his grave. So this is the cover of the next issue where it shows him coming out of the grave. And then the first splash page of that issue, we see him in the white void, in the fetal position, naked, and then he sees his dead friend Ned Leeds. So this is the first person yes. we talk about him who's close to him that has died. Yes, a character I didn't know about, but they the writing is good enough that I could pick up exactly what was happening. He's a recently departed friend. I assumed when I first saw him laying in the white void that he was in Phoenix's white hot box or wherever she goes. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, there was no crossover apparently, so that no. was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, you can't when he he's in his white void, you're not really sure with his interactions if he's in kind of a hell place or a heaven place. Um and of course he sees the spider again, right? The spider comes and visits him, which makes it kind of a totem to him as well. Yeah, all these little parallels to his life. He's the spider is fighting against demons. The demons slice open the spider and Peter Parker crawls out of the spider's belly. Yes. And what's interesting, that that scene was was really big for me. He's during that time, like Peter's realizing that he's mortal. Mm-hmm. Right. He's having those those flashes, but he, it's in a, it's in the positive way. He's no longer feeling that existential dread of, oh, I'm going to die someday. Mm-hmm. He's kind of looking at it the other way because he's thinking about Mary Jane and all these things. So he's going, I'm mortal, so I've got to get out there. I've got to get back to my life. Mm-hmm. He's not, he knows he's not some legendary thing now because some guy just shot him in the face. So he's kind of he's kind of packing up all of that dread he's feeling in the first issue as he's kind of unconsciously digging himself out. Yeah, he, and was, realizing, he was worried about mortality because of his dead, uh, the death of his friend Ned Leeds. Now, this is the ultimate facing death in the face, and now he's got to overcome death because he's got someone who's depending on him. Yeah, it's like that near-death experience when people come back from it and they say, okay, well, now I know I have what I've got to live for. He, he, he faces this, he realized what's important in life rather than focusing on life's uncertainty. He's like, I've got to spend as much time as I can with my wife, Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. I've got to get back out there. I am the spider. You know, he's got, it's that, the old Spider-Man adage, right? Great Mm -hmm. power comes great responsibility. Right. He'd love to just lay in the ground and not have to deal with this anymore. But that's not, he has to make the right choice, which is to get back out there and get to his wife and deal with the maniac that shot him in the face. And he does it. Pardon? He comes out of the grave. Yes, he comes out of the grave. And finds out from a, a newspaper headline. That he's been in the grave for two full weeks. Yes, and he um he he looks like he's about to go wild on Craven's two like twin houseboys, whoever those people are. You know, because he comes out of the grave angry. Oh yeah, that he just lost two weeks, and he sees the the newspaper in Craven's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like ready to kill Craven's two like manservants or whatever they are. Yep. But you know, Peter Parker's still a pretty swell guy, so he's not going to beat up these two like non-combatants. And he says something I think is very important there, which is he's going to find Craven and deal with him, but not like a spider, like a man. Which is interesting, because at this point, they don't, like, I don't think of Spider-Man as, like, worshipping this spider totem the way that Craven does. Sure, yeah. But at that point, after, you know, he, he gets loose of Craven's house, he goes back to Mary Jane, gets some sleep, mm-hmm. and then despite the fact that he's been malnourished and beat up for two weeks laying in a coffin, he heads out again. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that MJ even lets him head out the window. Yeah. that's It says a lot about Mary Jane, that she can honestly let him be who he is. Like, there's, you'd expect her to be a wreck. She's like, I'm going to lose you again? Like, there there is that possibility that he's not going to come back the second time. Right, and he's been gone for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Shows up as close to death as possible. Right. Sorry, honey, I've been buried alive for two weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. And I had to claw myself out of a grave. Good to see you. I'm fine. By the way, I'm headed out. Yeah. I guess she knows that that comes with the territory. And when you agree to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you agree to that, you know, she, he's going to stick her to it. She knew it was Spider-Man. Yeah. But that was, a that was again, a, a kind of important scene because it goes along with his, you know, his responsibility. He's He's got to deal with Craven because despite the fact that he did nothing to Craven to make this happen, mm. that's his mess he's got to clean up. 
Yep. Well, he's ruining so, his reputation. But yeah, he after going through that kind of rebirthing process, when he crawls, pulls himself out of the grave, he immediately has to face his mortality again. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I have to go back after this guy. Right. At at half power. Next issue has the cover of Craven in his um, hideout with his taxidermied heads on the wall and Spider-Man crawling behind him. When it when it starts, when that issue opens up, um, Craven is blaming the spider, and I say that with air quotes because it's this supernatural spider that Craven has created in his mind. Mm-hmm. He's blaming the spider for his mom's suicide. Craven is really packing a lot into this spider. At this point, Craven starts dumping his crazy out all over Spider-Man. <laughs> this is this is when Craven starts monologuing and just just vomiting crazy on Peter Parker. Right. About how he chose to let him live mm-hmm. so Peter Parker would know who killed him, which is hilarious. Um how he replaced him um and then he says another one of those interesting telling lines where Craven says the spider gets it, but he has to prove it to Peter Parker. Like the spider understands what Craven's doing, but Peter Parker has no idea. So he's got to prove it to him. <laughs> and all I can think is poor Peter must be so confused. Right. You know, like, can't he go back to stopping the rhino from robbing a bank? Like, you know, like this is this is what he's got to deal with now. This maniac who's putting all this projecting all this stuff on him. And he just came in there to shoot some webs on Craven and get him in a jail cell. So it sounds like Craven associates the spider with the the feral part of Peter's psyche. Yes. He again, he believes that the spider is this supernatural thing that is part of Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, I guess he feels Craven feels like he's completed something because he takes off the Spider-Man costume and puts on his little loincloth again. He no longer has to be the spider. Yes, he is in his. Well, that's the thing. He has these objectives, but mm-hmm. he's the one who gets to decide whether or not he's c- completed them. That's right. And he felt he's done so that. He go- yep. And I guess he's done that. So he puts on his his hot disco loincloth and he says, follow me, Peter or Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And then Spider-Man does it. Now would be the time to shoot him with the webs. <laughs> <laughs> he's changing. I think Spidey's also know? interested in bringing uh, Vermin to justice. Oh, right. He takes him. That's when he takes him down to show that he's already captured Vermin, right? Mm-hmm. And he releases yeah, Vermin oh. so that they can have it a little duke out. So now it's Spider-Man versus Vermin. And this is the time when I start feeling bad for Vermin, which which is good writing, I guess. Yeah, considering a, where this character has come from in this story alone. Yeah, he's a monster cannibal. Mm-hmm. But I feel terrible for him. He's in this. He's in. He's in an electrified cage, and he has no idea what's going on either. Mm-hmm. A, a maniac dressed like Spider-Man is is. And because and Craven's sitting there talking about how Vermin is this tormented, beautiful beast. And mm-hmm. Vermin's just like, I want to eat some people and get back to my sewer. Right. And again, Craven has like lionized him again. Like he's this majestic creature. Oh, and then, of course, Craven goes on saying more to Spider-Man about being a demonic spirit that he recognizes from the jungle. And he talks about the jungle endlessly. And at that point, he really does like specifically blame the spider for everything that's gone wrong in his life. <laughs> he blames the spider for the fall of Russia, everything. And Peter Parker, who just went through that ordeal crawling out of the mud, figured out the opposite, that he's not some demon spider spirit. He's just a guy who has to kind of deal with his life and his superherodom and kind of roll with the punches, which I think is kind of where the, the story comes together for me in this fifth issue. Yeah. Because it's about Peter Parker taking responsibility and it's about Craven putting his responsibility on something else. He was so blaming story, someone else outside of himself and outside of his family. Yeah, he's he's all of his problems he's putting on some spider demon. Mm-hmm. The fact his mom killed him herself, the fact his dad life was ruined, the fact that every all of Craven's like issues from when he's younger or from today or whatever, instead of dealing with them and saying, "Oh, I have a problem" or whatever it might be, he puts them on a spider demon and says, when I beat that spider demon, I've conquered all of that. So it's like Craven has this inferiority complex, Mm. but instead of facing it, he projects it all onto something else that he can deal with. Right. So to me, Spider-Man is about taking responsibility. Craven is about 
how to not take responsibility for anything. Because in Craven's narrative, the only failure he's ever made is to not catch Spider-Man. Yeah. That's, you know, everything else he's done is perfect, and the jungle laws and primal and all this. Well, and that's just really... it. It's failure to beat Spider-Man equated to failure in all aspects of Craven's life. So that's why if he defeated Spider-Man... That's the end of failure in his life. Right. Or that's what that, that's in his brain. Right? Yeah. That's the rules he set up. Right. And then. So it, he's finally at peace favorite. with that because he feels he's beaten yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. He's he's. And what's funny is because he's so nuts. It's probably not the right way to say that. But because he's so nuts, he's he is at peace. Mm-hmm. All it would have taken for him to be at peace is to go. I couldn't control what happened to my mother or whatever it is. Right. But instead, he can't do that. Now that he's done his own little like uh, hurdles to get there, now he's at peace. And you can tell that because then things get romantic. Yeah. Craven walks up to Spider-Man, touches his face, and says, does my affection embarrass you? <laughs> and once again, all I can think of is poor Peter Parker under that mask going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Who have I been fighting all these years? Yeah, right? You imagine that when you say that Craven used to be kind of a joke, and now Peter <laughs> Parker's sitting across from this guy who's like gingerly touching his face, going, I'm so sorry this is over. Like, <laughs> you what, recoil. What's going on? Why? <laughs> yeah. Because A, um, I hate you, and B, I'm a heterosexual man. <laughs> Peter, this wacko who buried him alive is wearing a lion vest and an animal print loincloth, touches his face totally sincerely and looks like he's about to weep. Mm -hmm. Peter just must be like, I'm just, I want to leave. <laughs> like just hit the window, go back to Mary Jane and rethink my whole life. Mm -hmm. And then they fight. Uh, Vermin, I should say. Then Vermin gets let loose. Yes. And that's another victory for Craven. Like he witnesses Vermin besting Spider-Man here. And he needs Craven's help to uh, to save him. Yeah, yeah. Vermin must be a great A badass because he does whip Spider Man pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And well, Spider Man is sick, but we learned before that it took Captain America and Spider Man to take him down last right, time. Right, right. Craven breaks it up and then sets Vermin free. It, it, again, it's that it's to prove that he is once again greater than Spider Man. Right. So, which leads to the oh, last scene of the comic book, not the trade, but the comic. This issue, issue five, and we get the title. Now, why this is Craven's last hunt. Yes, because Craven now feels like he's bested Spider-Man completely. Mm -hmm. He actually talks about like the weight of his dishonor and shame disappearing. He says to Spider-Man, like he sees that he's a good man and like says, bless you mm -hmm. and wanders away. I'm sure Peter is still so confused. Yeah. Because um, again, he's been playing a game that he didn't know the rules to. Mm -hmm. And the spiritual significance that Craven put on Spider-Man is resolved. And he, he comes to some like kind of sweet conclusion that every man has his spider. And maybe Craven is Spider-Man's spider and Spider-Man is Craven's spider. Mm. You know, which mm -hmm. is, it, it's, it's, like, it's like he's tied it up in a nice bow. Right. It's a nice poetic He's ending. created a game with his own rules and then tied up the game in a nice bow now that he's finished with the game. And then he paints the ceiling with his brains. Using the same rifle he used to quote-unquote, kill Spider-Man. So Craven takes his own was, life at the end of issue five. This is when you were talking about it being kind of a spoiler. But yeah, it, it occurred to me about three panels before it happened. Mm. But yeah, the, the title did help. <laughs> I remember reading this and I'm like, I was 11. <laughs> I'm reading this story. It's like, dude, this rat creatures murdering innocent women and now Craven the Hunter, who's someone I've known in cartoon form since I was in kindergarten has killed himself. I was like, what is this story? It's pretty <laughs> right. traumatic. It, it, it is. And I'm happy in a way that I read it now. I, you know, sometimes I, I like being able to read something uh, when I'm younger and then read it again now and kind of get new things out of it. Mm -hmm. I would have taken the wrong things out of the story if I read it when I was 14. Yeah. You know, because like you said, it's very traumatizing if what you're used to is Spider-Man fighting Doc Ock. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this and you've really got a, a very complicated villain. Yep. Like he, he, he doesn't have a, he's not, he doesn't have a plot. He has a game that he created. First of all, okay, so let me, let me just break down what I thought about Craven. Okay. 
might be on this issue a long time, but mm-hmm. he assigns all of his the problems in his life to a single person. Right. Then he concocts an elaborate like ruse to finally best him, mm-hmm. which he could have just done by shooting him. But then, regardless, he does it flawlessly according to his rules. Okay. It gives him peace, mm-hmm. and then he blows his brains out. Yes. And the last thing he says is, they said my mother was insane. And right at this point in the comic book, I realized that this is my favorite villain that I've ever read. He Again, it, it benefits that I never read any of his other stories, because I probably didn't have to see the weird 70s stuff where he had like a robot lion to fight Spider-Man or something. It, it's so intense. Yeah. What he's going through and why he's crazy. So, you know, I used to love... The, you know, Rachel Ghoul, I thought he was a great villain. The, the, the guy from Preacher, Star, mm-hmm. all these, like, iconic comic villains that I loved. And this guy just blows them all out of the water. That's some impressive company to hold. It, uh, honestly, I, I really feel that way. Mm-hmm. He's so well done, and I really understand his crazy. Mm-hmm. And in being your first a- your first exposure yeah. to Craven, it's also the last exposure of the, the character has because he has an ending in this story. It's not like he Which gets I thrown love. in jail and he's just going to come back. Right, right. It's 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 completed. Mm-hmm. I, I know this guy's story. Mm-hmm. And whatever happened before was him trying to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And now it's over. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. So then episode six is the final conclusion, the confrontation of Spidey and Vermin. Spidey's got to bring this murderer to justice. Um, One could argue that he's essentially a wild animal trying to survive and feeding off, you know, what he can find in in the city of New York. But at the same time, he's also part man, so in which case he is a murderer. Right. And Spidey and him duke it out. Yeah, um, it's funny. Spider-Man's down in the sewer dealing with his, like, PTSD. Like, he's crawling through the sewer, now finally dealing with, I was buried for a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I was, you know, that's all I starting was, to bubble up on uh, in in a closed, confined space, in the dark, and now I've got to be in these tight sewers. And it's interesting because his little subconscious bubble comes back and mm-hmm. is telling him to let someone else handle it. <laughs> right. Which I think is the, the, the pinnacle of all this, or the climax of all this, which is Spider-Man now has to put into action all of the things he was resolving to do when he was crawling out of the grave. Now he's in it, and he's in another dark, scary place. Mm-hmm. And that but, goes you know, back Spider-Man's to his, his origin, too. As Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, he cannot resign to leave someone else to bring someone to justice. Because the first time he did that, right. it cost him the death of uh, Uncle Ben. Right. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. For those of you who don't know <laughs> Spider-Man. For those of you... No, I'm just kidding. Um it, it, yeah, it's the complete opposite to Craven's arc. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's runs completely opposite. Spider-Man has to take responsibility. No one else is going to go get this rat guy who's eating people in New York. Mm-hmm. Craven's is to create alternate realities to project his problems on others. Right. Spider-Man has to take these problems. Okay, I have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. He has to live in like the real world. That's the like you said. That's the great power, great responsibility gig that he picked up when he picked up the. The alter ego. Mm-hmm. And Spidey has to remind himself the whole time that Vermin is just some dude. Like like you said, he's a man as well who's guilty of murder, mm-hmm. but he's just a guy. He's not the supernatural force that Craven had been saying he was. Right. So, and, and because he's subhuman, I think there's a little more mercy taken on the character. Yeah, you feel bad because when you find out that, I think at some point they tell that Baron Zemo experimented on him, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I would not know who that was if I hadn't seen Captain America (laughs) Civil War. Right. And I'm like, oh, that guy, clearly very different in the comics. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, Craven sends a confession conveniently exonerating Spider-Man. Yes, published in the Daily Bugle. And then, oh, wow, one of my favorite parts of the entire thing, as Spider-Man is kind of clearing out his his existential crisis as he's like kind of brushing it all off. He has this moment of clarity and questions why he always has to make quips. <laughs> which is, which is really funny because it's one of the things that you always like, at least when, you know, you read people like Garth Ennis and people who don't like Spider-Man and make him quip endlessly while he fights the Punisher or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, I think about Spider-Man is that he's always kind of witty and saying stuff. Right. 
And in this like hideous situation, what he's just gone through, and now he's slogging through the sewer trying to find a cannibal. Oh yeah, stale, stupid, useless joke. What's the matter, Vermin? Something caught in your throat? <laughs> like he he recognizes that this is not the time for that. <laughs> and I, I really that really made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, wow. I'm fighting a cannibal and I'm making a joke about something being stuck in his throat. Yeah. Like, why am I doing this? And I think it, I think Spider-Man, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think he, he has, the, he thinks about killing vermin, right? He says, why did I do that after he punches him in the mouth? And then he says in parentheses, I'm afraid. Yeah. So he's still, he's still unpacking a lot of what happened to him in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But ultimately Peter Parker is a good guy. Right. Who, who does the right thing and decides he's going to get vermin to the cops. Mm-hmm. And then promise that Reed Richards is going to help him. Yep. Reed Richards cures everything. Yeah, he can just he can just fix that, and then <laughs> Berman can go to prison for the rest of his life for being a cannibal. <laughs> so I eventually I think what 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 I took out of this is that it's about Craven ducking his responsibility mm-hmm. and Peter Parker managing his fear when he has to he has something to go home to. You know, Craven has nothing. It's two very different ways of dealing with one's mortality. Yes. Peter fights for survival. He's afraid of death because of his friend dying, but he perseveres. Craven is afraid of failure, and so he makes up all these rules, like you say, and then he goes through this process, and then he ends his own life because he's he feels he's completed his, his arc in life. And see, I think it's interesting because he talks about honor and glory and pride in the jungle and his prowess and all this, mm-hmm. and he says a few times the primal kingdom, I, I don't know exactly, but he always talks about this primal kingdom being better than civilization. Like, when he's in the jungle, it's real. And when he's in civilization, it's, you know, they're weak and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But he's ultimately the one who's the coward, right? He's running away he from avoids, reality, you mean? Yeah, he runs away from reality. He avoids any of the real issues. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I should deal with the fact that my mom killed herself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't deal with that. Right. He puts it on a spider. Metaphorically, he's running away to the jungle. Mm-hmm. And he sets up, like, his paper paper tigers, if that makes sense. Like, he sets up paper tigers to conquer. I've got to do this to Spider-Man. I've got to do this to Vermin. And like, they're not in on it. If you let Spider-Man in on it, then you're really accomplishing something. And that's the the poem that is referred to in this story is the tiger, tiger burning bright. But it's spider, spider burning bright. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I did not. I So I saw the poem and I assumed it was something, but I didn't look up because I didn't want to read like I didn't want spoilers. So I didn't want to like because as soon as I saw the poem, I'm like, that feels like it's something. But you said it's tiger. Yes, it's tiger, tiger burning bright. And then everything else, I believe, is the original poem. He just OK, switch it to spider. Yeah. But yeah, hand or eye, thy fearful symmetry, which you can pronounce symmetry if you want it to rhyme. But uh, that was the original title that the writer wanted this to be known as not Craven the Hunter, but fearful symmetry. And that really is the ongoing theme is the fearful symmetry between these two characters or three characters, if you want to include Vermin, and their respective right. um, animal counterparts. That would have been a much better title that doesn't sound quite as exciting. Right, and wouldn't have spoiled the ending of the story. True. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, I, I picked it up the moment I saw Craven's Last Hunt. I'm like, okay, in some way or another, he's retiring. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that what a beautiful name that would have been for this story. From a, a story that starts off with a guy karate chopping a gorilla's head and wearing a loincloth and talking like the American psycho, I didn't expect it to go the direction it went. Basically, to be given these very, very specific and very well-developed de- characters. That's not what I expected when I picked up a Spider-Man story. To be fair, that's more than I've ever gotten out of a Batman story, because 99% of Batman is all the same, thematically. I'm not ripping on Batman, it's just these are the comics that I've read. Well, there's the advantage of Peter Parker as a character versus Batman, right? Batman can do no wrong. Bruce Wayne is perfect at everything he does, and he's admired by the fact that he has no superpowers, it's just he's so great at what he does, he can do the impossible. Whereas Spider-Man is physically stronger, more agile, has more powers than a a Batman, but he's a more fleshed-out, real-world character. Peter Parker's a more fleshed-out character than Bruce Wayne. Sure, we know Bruce Wayne's tragedy, but outside of his tragedy, what else is he? Like, he's basically a caricature of a human being because he's been through this traumatic experience. Who can relate to that, right? Well, he's very similar to Kraven. Right. He had a tragedy with his parents, yeah. He puts everything on that. Yeah. And, you know, he puts everything on the other criminals out there who he's going to stop. 
And both characters are obsessed. Yeah, there's never any introspection. Mm -hmm. There's never any, why do I dress up like a bat and fight a guy who dresses up like a clown? And you see Peter with the the doubt. Peter thinks about that, right? Mm Because he's a human being. Yeah. He goes, why am I doing this when Mary Jane is at home waiting for me? Mm -hmm. I think he says almost verbatim that in the story. Right. What am I doing in the sewer fighting a cannibal when my wife is there and I can just take off the costume and go back to work? Yeah. And that kind of stuff makes me more... It endears me to the character because I'm like, oh, that's something I think. Not necessarily while I'm hunting cannibals in the sewer, but when I have to face some responsibility, I go, well, why don't I just stay home and not do this? Right. You know, why don't I could just go home and hang out with my girlfriend and watch TV? Why do I have to go do this? That's miserable. And it was the ongoing theme of Spider-Man. Spider-Man from his earliest issues was, you know, great power, great responsibility, of course. But it started with Uncle Ben. It continued with his Aunt May. Like, he's always got to make sure that she is of good health. You know, he's always having financial problems, relationship issues because he can't show up to dates, and all because he's Spider-Man. Right, and he's, but the thing is, he's ultimately a good guy because he could have just joined the football team. Right, that's true. When he became Spider-Man. Well, he, you know, he did the, the celebrity tour, right? He tried to be a celebrity appearing on television. He, he had the wrestling matches, etc. He was self-centered, and then he realized... I can't be about myself because when that happens, people that I love can die. Yeah, that's what makes that's the that's what I think what makes him a relatable character. Mm-hmm. Is it that's and that's what you look for in most fiction, right? Is you go, what would I do in that situation? Right. Well, in the, if the situation was I was a billionaire who lived in a castle and had a bunch of gadgets all the time, well. Yeah, I could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy. Spider-Man's not as easy to go, would I do that? Right. Right. Would I choose to not be in the NFL with my spider powers and not tell anybody about it? Yeah. Or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas, you know, it, you don't get that decision with other characters. Right. What would I do if I was Superman? Well, I guess I would fly, shoot lasers out of my face. And also where he was before he was Spider-Man. He was an unpopular kid in high school. You know, I think most comic book readers can relate to being unpopular in school, mocked. By your peers and uh, right, certainly, certainly, comic book readers from the era we're from, sure, right when when there was that stigma. Because I think now, which is great, it's not that same stigma. But back then, absolutely, oh, sure. I mean, when it was first published, and when you know, you and I first started reading comic books, it was it was not as mainstream as it is today, by no means. Yeah, it was not not quite as cool. Mm-mm. So yeah, that that that's a great point. In that, not only is he given these great powers, he's kind of a social pariah to start with. Right. Right. Whereas Peter has the the motivation to use his power selfishly to get back at the people who wronged him. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I could make that decision. As uh, as Spider-Man? Yeah. You, you give me the superpowers that he has and go, but hide them and do this and do that. And I go, hey, maybe. So from Peter Parker's perspective, anytime he lets a villain go free is someone else losing their loved one and he doesn't want to let that happen again because he knows how that feels he lives with that for the rest of his life and uncle ben was the last person on earth that he feels deserved to die so anyone can be in danger as long as there's criminals out there in the streets So yeah, Craven's Last Hunt, quite possibly my favorite Spider-Man story of all time. It sounds like it's yours as well. It's, it is absolutely my favorite Spider-Man story of all time. I think it would be if it wasn't the only one I'd ever read. Right. It is, however, and I will only be going to you for recommendations on Spider-Man stories because <laughs> what I got out of this yeah. would be followed up very poorly by Spider-Man stopping a robot man from robbing a bank. There are other stories that that echo this. I mentioned uh, Venom being a similar storyline to this um the superior spider-man storyline where dr octopus takes over the mind they switch minds basically and so doc ock is in the body of peter parker and then he's like i'm going to be a superior spider-man he literally says that in this book craven says i am superior which also made me surprised when people were boycotting the superior spider-man storyline they're like how dare you do this to spider-man it's like it's been done we've seen it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let it play out. I'm interested. Yeah, I I, I want to get in the heads of the villains. Where we we understand the heroes. Mm-hmm. This book does such a good job of focusing on Craven that that's what kept me very interested. It's like, wow, I want to know more about this guy. I want to know more about this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then how it affects the character that I know. Yep. 
So yeah, I, I want to know why Dr. Rock thinks he can be a superior Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, you know, I, I want to know the, I don't want, oh, why is they doing that to Spider-Man? Why, uh, no, Let, give me a good story. Right. And then God willing, like in this one, wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Have an ending. Yeah. And Superior Spider-Man yeah. does have an ending. It's just, you'll notice the similarities, um, but it's longer. It's more drawn out. He goes more in depth. It's like, what does a supervillain do in, in the guise of not just Spider-Man, but in the guise of Peter Parker as well? All right, so that's it for this episode. Alan, thank you for having me. You are so welcome. And uh, you guys tune in for our next episode of Made in the Trade. Please subscribe on iTunes and tell all, all, all of your friends to listen. <laughs>